be seated. Let me say welcome to you again, and uh, particularly if this uh, is a situation uh, or occasion where you're visiting with us, uh, we just want to uh, encourage you to stay at the end, grab hold of some refreshment next door at the center uh, after the service and just say hello so we get to know you a little bit better. Uh, I think it's Violet's first Sunday at CFM. It's great to have you guys here, and we're just praising God for, for a wonderful addition to our church family. That's really great. James looks very happy. <laughs> it's uh, really great to be able to worship together and to encourage one another. And uh, just want to remind you that today... Uh, at 4 o'clock, we'll meet together as a church. We'll go on the road, and we will be having a baptism service. <clears throat> Excuse me. A baptism service, and it'll be at Lancaster Baptist Church. Uh, if you need any more details of, of anything that's, that's needed, just uh, speak to either myself or Caroline. Uh, she, she'll be available just to give you instructions of how you get there or parking or anything else. It's a 4 o'clock start, and we will not be having an evening service at the center next door. So our evening service sort of got shifted earlier and shifted location to Lancaster Baptist Church. Make sure you plan to come in good time. There's a, there's a lot of cycling going on around Lancaster at the moment, and there'll be some closures of roads. So do set off in good time to try to get there. You don't want to get there as we're finishing. Uh, that will be a, a really good thing. Just as a... a, a forward notice as well, on the 31st uh, of this month, we'll be having in the morning service uh, uh, friends of ours, part of our congregation, who are living abroad at the moment uh, in North Africa, uh, and they will be sharing throughout the service, and uh, for very obvious reasons, we will not be broadcasting on the 31st in the morning, and it will not be recorded, so uh, I encourage you to try to get here if you want to hear what they have to share with us. They will be uh, in the area for quite a while, uh, for quite a few weeks, uh, around the beginning and middle of August. So that would be really, really good. Also to mention that uh, Pastor Ian, uh, please pray for him. He is uh, speaking at Connect at uh, Cape and Raid this week, uh, throughout the week. Just remember to pray for him as he engages with some young people uh, with uh, Jesus' message for them. Kids are going out at this time. If uh, I, I'm not making the assumption that everybody knows what's happening, but if you're visiting this morning and you've got kids, just take them through. Uh, at the back, there's a crash that would be in the room behind us, and then uh, everybody else uh, in, in Sunday school will be going across to the center, and the leaders will uh, give you every information that you need about them going through, and then they'll be coming back and youth are staying in this morning. And while they do that, it just gives you a chance to say hello to the people around you.
great. It'd be really good to take some time this morning to, to pray for our nation. We spent some time yesterday at a prayer meeting uh, praying for our nation. It'd be really good to carry on doing that, particularly at this significant time. Um, particularly being aware that what is happening in the next few days and in the next few weeks will be crucial with regards to who will be leading the country. And uh, I, I find that very often as Christians, we're great at criticizing, but we're not so good at praying. Or maybe that's just me. So I think it's really important that we, we pray in this time when decisions are being made about the future leader of the Conservative Party and the future Prime Minister of the country. Uh, and we want to pray into that this morning. And also it'd be great to, to pray for the situation surrounding both the challenges that are being put on the emergency services and the heat wave that is supposedly hitting um, parts of the, the, the south. It seems like north of Manchester would be reasonably okay. Uh, I keep saying to the people, the north is the best. So, but it'd be really, really good to pray, just hearing of the services and having it explained to us, you know, even in terms of pharmacies and operations and everything else, it, it seems like it's a strenuous thing. And it'd be really good to pray for our nation. Just as an aside, if either, I, I haven't got any prophetic knowledge or inside knowledge, uh, my MI5 sources are not working very well, but if you are a conservative party member and you will be getting to cast a vote or you know somebody else who's a Christian who's a conservative party, I can forward you some really good information that I also received in terms of some of the ethical stances that some of the candidates have that might be helpful to those who are voting, not trying to influence but trying to provide all the right information so that afterwards you wouldn't say, if I would have known, I would have not voted for them. So uh, please do get in touch with me, and I'll try to forward you the information. I didn't put it together. Somebody else credible put it together. So that'd be really, really good. You're laughing, Sue. <laughs> Excellent. Let's pray. Let's pray for the nation this morning. It'd be really good to do that.
Let's turn to God's Word this morning as we continue our journey in the Gospel of Luke. And we will be reading from Luke chapter 12, the first 12 verses. Luke 12, from verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves. Or why you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Keeping on with the theme of politics, really, if you've been watching, uh, and I know there's a few of us who are very interested in it, uh, the, the current discussions, debates, and promotions of the different candidates, probably the buzzword at the moment is honesty. And it was really interesting on, on, on Friday night that the question was asked uh, about a current certain political figure whether people thought they were a liar. The interesting uh, ways to answer that was, that was fascinating as well. It's true to say that we all generally want people to tell us the truth. Tell the truth, we say to the politicians. Tell us the truth. Don't spin it. Don't lie. Don't tell us what we want to hear. Tell us the truth. And in some ways, I've been thinking there are so many journeys, in inverted commas, that we take in life, where I would say we tend to say to others, tell us the truth. Say, for example, you're starting a job. And you, you're, you're new to it, you, you, you don't know the ins and outs. You're saying to whoever is guiding you in the new job, tell me the truth. In other words, what we're saying to them is, tell me what I need to do and what I need to be careful with. Those of you who have embarked in the journey of marriage, 
such an important quality of a good relationship and a good marriage. You're saying to them, tell me the truth. Tell me what you like and dislike. If you're thinking of maybe going on a mission, Keith is about to, to head out on a mission, and if you're joining that mission team and you've never been on a mission, or maybe an expedition, you're saying to the group leader, tell me the truth. Tell me what's going to be hard, what I need to be careful of, and what are going to be some of the things that I should be looking forward to. We want the truth. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He provides honesty about the journey of faith with him as he's speaking to the disciples. And what Jesus is doing, he's probably doing those two things. He's warning them of the dangers and he gives them some tips or encouragements about how to cope with this journey that's coming ahead. One thing that really strikes me, and again, it's, it's, it's like a different headline in the light of current political maneuverings that are going on. And what really strikes me right at the very beginning, verse 1 onwards, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard. Jesus values honesty more than popularity. Again, I, I do imagine myself sometimes being on Jesus' PR team. I know it's weird. It's from watching too much The West Wing. I'm thinking, I'm on his PR team. I'm, 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 I'm one of these guys who's thinking, Jesus, how can we make you look great and look good? And everything about this context is amazing. There's a crowd of many thousands who, who as, a, as a leader or as a preacher, doesn't enjoy a crowd that supports them. And he says they were trampling on one another. So people were squeezed in because they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. What a great moment to tell the people what they want to hear. What does Jesus do? It's that kind of thing where if somebody would have been Jesus' campaign manager, they would have rolled their eyes, you know, and just covered their eyes and thought, I can't believe he's doing this. He pulls the disciples aside, and it's interesting that he speaks to the disciples first and foremost, and he basically warns them of the difficulties and dangers that will come their way. And it's not the only time that Jesus does that. <laughs> he, he seems to have a, a knack for trying to thin the crowd instead of making it bigger. Because Jesus is interested in honesty, not popularity. Jesus wants to tell the truth. He doesn't just want to have a big crowd of superficial followers. He wants to have the right people that understand the message, understands the pluses and the minuses, the terms and conditions of being a disciple, and wholeheartedly say, I'm in. As Matt and Carol were saying at the wedding vows yesterday, for better and for worse. Because that's the heart of Jesus. And again, it, 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 it strikes me as such a contrast, both with the political world in which we live in, and sadly, even the church scene, where very much the leader or the speaker would want to make sure that the crowd swells as much as possible and tries to give to the crowd what they want to hear, what the Apostle Paul used to call a tickling of the ears. 
Jesus doesn't do that. And it's an important reminder to us this morning. And Jesus warns them about some of the things that are coming ahead. And he's talking to them about some of the dangers. Look at verse 3. First of all, he says, What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rules. What Jesus is saying, danger number one is you will be exposed. This is the equivalent of somebody at a Bible study or in a sermon saying something that is culturally against the norm, and somebody leaks it on social media or gives it to the press, and then they can have a go. Jesus is saying, the truth that you will say that is uncomfortable for those around you, be careful, because it will be leaked. It will be exposed. Not the sort of exposure that exposes something that's hidden and dark and terrible, but something that's good that actually people don't like. This will be exposed. And then in verse 11, another one of the dangers that Jesus is talking about, he says this, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities. In other words, he says, you will be tried. Not only people will out you for your beliefs that are different from that of the society you live in, but actually as a result of it, you will be brought before people who will judge you, falsely accusing you of things. And you've got there the, the leaders of the synagogues, the rulers, and the authorities. It's a combination of people who are in power, who are uncomfortable about those things that are being said. And now they're being tried and judged. And probably more stark, if you look at verse 4, if we jump back, Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. You could even be killed. So there seems to be that escalation that goes on there. First of all, the things that you will say will be taken and you will be punished for them. You'll be brought before people who will judge you. And then as a result of it, you will be killed. It's what happened if you turn in the book of Acts to Stephen, one of the deacons in the early church. He said something that was uncomfortable. And as a result of it, he was martyred. He was being stoned to death. And Jesus is very frank about those dangers that are there. And I like the fact that Jesus doesn't hide it. And this is the kind of teaching and preaching and, and Bible studying that we should be doing amongst ourselves that we realize that this is the path of discipleship with Jesus. So I can't tell you that if you start following Jesus, your life will be fantastic. You'll never get sick. You'll always be very rich and very popular and everything will be Excellent, because that's not what Jesus has said. When Jesus is inviting people to follow him, he says, yes, I will give you life abundant, but in a parallel, also, you will be hated by many. You will be persecuted for my name and for righteousness. So the two run together. That's the full gospel. And Jesus, again, is very honest when he talks to them about the dangers that are coming ahead. I don't know about you, but even when I listen to the politicians, I, you know, am really finding it endearing when somebody tells us what they see, even if it's painful, even if it's difficult, and they admit the truth. That, that's half the battle won. Those of you who are into football, 
There's nothing like your manager seeing all the things that we as fans, who of course are incredible experts at everything, we see what's wrong with the team, and they come out after the game, and they say, this is it. It kind of, as a, as it, it, it earns trust. You say, okay, if he's coming out and making a ton of excuses, and it's almost like he's been watching a different kind of game, oh, what a great game the lads have had. No, they didn't. They were terrible. Jesus tells us the truth. Because that's the path of discipleship. It will have those kind of challenges that Jesus brought about. Uh, the, 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 the fact that we will be exposed. The fact that we will be tried. The fact that we could be killed even. But in the midst of it, he also talks. It's what I told you about the journey. Okay, here are the dangers. So Keith could be telling his team, guys, these are the things that could go wrong. You could get sick. We could get robbed. Yeah, nobody's listening to this from your team. You know, these are the things that could go wrong, but there's also good news. And Jesus is bringing the good news into it. Verses 6 to 8, if you look at it. It says, Jesus is reminding them of what they're seeing in nature. And he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than any sparrows. Jesus is saying, okay, this is the truth. People will be exposing what you've said. They could be trying you. They could be even killing you. But I'm telling you, God cares for you. And he uses the imagery that we could all understand from nature of the care that God has for the sparrows. And he says, you know, those are the sparrows that God cares. What about you? You are so much more valuable than the sparrows. God cares for you and in the midst of the fears that could come because we could be exposed tried even killed Jesus is saying don't be afraid don't be afraid of them God is still in control in your life and he talks about his love that care talks about his love that care talks about a God who really is interested in every detail of our life but we sometimes misunderstand this. Do you think God didn't love Stephen? Did he? You're not sure? Some people tentatively said, yeah. He was a deacon appointed under the Spirit's guidance in the early church. Do you think God loved Stephen? then why did God allow Stephen to be stoned to death? If he's a God of love, how can that happen? Surely if God, God, love, if God loves somebody, nothing bad ever happens to them. They will never be exposed. They will never be tried. They will never be killed. That's how our modern false Christian mindset works. In our understanding, if God is a God of love, everything good according to my definition of good or the world's definition of good, should be happening to me. Well, the New Testament makes a whole mess of that theory because you find the Apostle Paul, again, a man whom God... Did, did God love the Apostle Paul? I think so. He went through everything. Shipwreck, false imprisonment, trials, beatings with lashes, betrayal by his own people. 
well, I thought God was a God of love, and I thought God loved the Apostle Paul. Of course he did. But the two go hand in hand, because that's the path of following Jesus. So there's nothing abnormal about that. And yet Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, because God cares for you. And then the interesting thing is that he gives us a little bit more detail in verse 12 as well, because we might be thinking, well, how can I live this Christian life? How can I face this? How can I face people talking badly about me and exposing something that I've said that is true, that the Bible says, and and they they bring me to trial, and then they punish me for it? How, How can I deal with this? And again, Jesus anticipates, and he talks about the Holy Spirit, who's being poured out on the disciples after Jesus is ascending into heaven. And verse 12 says, the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. God isn't just promising us his love by talking about the sparrows and the care that he has and how much more he cares for us. But he also talks about the power that he will provide for those who are facing hardships and persecution because of his name's sake. And he's very descriptive. He says, you know, when you would be brought before those rulers in the synagogue and the authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at a time what you should say. He provides this incredible assistance. Increasingly, as I hear stories of persecution and even martyrdom, I keep thinking, how can they do that? How can it be that somebody, a father, faced with seeing his children being murdered in front of his eyes, would choose not to deny Jesus than to see his children spared? How can they do that? And the answer is, they can't as much as I can't. But God in that moment, I believe, provides incredible supernatural resources to be able to withstand persecution and hardship. How is it? It's the Holy Spirit being present. And that's what, again, the book of Acts is peppered with situations like that, where the disciples of Jesus were being put in difficult situations. And they're amazing at the way they deal with that because God gives them that provision through the Holy Spirit of responding in a time of difficulty and challenge. So, Jesus tells the truth. He doesn't want just popularity, empty, cheap, superficial popularity. Everybody, big numbers following him. Yes, I am for Jesus. Of course, who isn't for Jesus? If I'm promising you a new car and health and wealth, of course everybody signs up for that. But when Jesus calls us, yes, to a life of fullness but a life of hardship as well. He wants us to be fully aware of that. And he tells us the challenges and the dangers, but he also tells us that he will provide, both in terms of his goodness as well as his power. So where does that leave us? Here is some, so, something that is really, really helpful. And we've got some verses that are going to come up on the screen. First and foremost, a reminder from 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 15, Jesus is saying, remember the words that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
We've got to embrace this, brothers and sisters. We've got to embrace this. This is God's word. This is the truth. So when persecution, not if, when persecution happens, we embrace our identity. That's our identity. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian walk. Not some other rubbish that other people are teaching you in order to kind of tickle your ears. This is the Christian life. If we desire to live a godly life, persecution could be our part. And we remember that Jesus also was persecuted, so it's actually an honor to be counted in with him. That's the first and most important thing, embracing the reality of our identity. We are disciples of Jesus. We are his. This is what he said about it. We need to recognize it as part of the package. This is the package. This is what I'm telling you. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'd rather you say, sorry, Christy, I don't want to join in than join in and bail out because <laughs> you thought it was going to be all easy. It's not. Now, we need to be really, really wise, and I think a lot of Christians can be provocative, and I need to say this. Some people are just up for stirring it and bringing trouble for themselves. So we need to remember Jesus' advice as I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. See, nobody ever, I keep saying to you, in, in the days when we used to have Christian bookshops and they used to have those posters in the Christian bookshop, do you remember them? Uh, posters with Bible verses. And you, you always used to be butterflies on the posters or a big mountain range or puppies and kittens and that kind of stuff. And there were all these verses, majority of them taken out of context, you know, that sounded really nice, almost like motivational. Never seen any of those. Never seen those words of Jesus on that. I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What Jesus is saying, don't go up stirring trouble. Don't go looking for it. Be smart. Be gentle. That means we don't victimize ourselves. With the students at Cape and Ray, when we looked at the issue of persecution, as Jesus uses one of the Beatitudes to talk about persecution, I put before them a really interesting dilemma. I said to them, you're in a church leadership. You're on the board of a church, or you're elders and deacons in a church, or whatever system you have in your church. And your pastor preaches something from God's word that gets leaked to the press, and the authorities don't like it, and the pastor is being arrested and the church is being sued. What do you do? Do you fight it in a lawsuit, or do you just take it? So that's a good dilemma. Church leadership, ALT, we've got a meeting tomorrow night, some food for thought. What do you do? Biblically, what do you do? It's a really good question. But I think it's really, really important. I'm not going to give you the answer, not that I have the answer. It's really important actually not to victimize ourselves. If this is what Jesus said, well, no, let's not act like we're surprised. And let's not act as if somehow, wow, you know, everything is just absolutely fallen off in our life. We should be actually saying, okay, this is uncomfortable, this is difficult, but this is in line with Scripture. Talking to believers, if you ever have a chance to listen and talk to believers from the persecuted world, they actually think it's weird for us that we're not experiencing persecution because they feel like they're more in line with what Jesus said, experiencing what Jesus said, while we are not. 
Well, obviously, that probably was true about 10, 15 years ago. It's all changing now. But this is the challenge. It's actually not being surprised, not bailing out, not victimizing ourselves. And the important thing is actually to stay together. Next slide, please. Paul writing to the Philippians, and you know that Paul had a wonderful partnership with the Philippians. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. When we're going through a difficult time, and if it's one of us, one of the church family, or a few in the church family, we stick together. We stick together in this. I love the way that Paul is saying, you, you were with me even when I was in my imprisonment. They could have bailed out. They would have said, that's a bit embarrassing. We don't want to cause trouble for ourselves. This could be quite political, couldn't it? Oh, church in Philippi, associates of the criminal troublemaking stirrer that's imprisoned. The Philippians were not ashamed of him. They stood with him in a very practical way, supporting him. So we need, in a time of difficulty, to stand together. To be united. And I think, I'm, I'm not prophetic, but I think looking at the, what's happening in the early church, and we keep praying, oh Lord, bring about the days of Acts, bring about it. Well, okay, that might be our experience. And it could be that one of us is in that situation, like the Apostle Paul. You say something at work, you get sacked, you end up on a trial. What are we going to do as brothers and sisters in Christ? What if I preach or Ian preaches something, somebody leaks it to the press, and then suddenly, you know, we get charged with hate speech? What are we going to do as a church? Are you just simply going to say, oh, bless you, pastor, you're on your own, or are we going to stick together? And again, in Acts 2, 12, uh, 5, uh, it says here, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's what we should be doing as a church. It's sticking together and praying for one another because it's so powerful both as a declaration of unity and love but also calling out on God's power and God doing what only God can do in those kind of situations. We stay together through encouragement and prayer. And then we hope for a, 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 my prayer throughout it all and having witnessed brothers who have been imprisoned for their faith in the communist time uh, some of you may remember, but I kept telling you the stories from Brother Aaron, 17 years, uh, 11 in solitary confinement because of his faith, simply because he wouldn't deny Jesus. And uh, he became an incredible witness. And the stories that were coming afterwards, even of some of the most cruel guards, are amazing. James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, laughing in, lacking in nothing. May that suffering and persecution being a transformative effect, first of all, on our godliness. Let's be honest this morning. There is nothing that brings about greater spiritual transformation than trials and difficulties. The times when you and I grow, and we have those spiritual 
growth spurts tend to be difficult times, aren't they? If I was to ask you, when, we, when was your prayer life most rich? You would say, it's when I was on a, on a bed of illness, when my family was going through it. That's our testimony. And that's what those trials redemptively can do. Now, I'm not saying, you know, God is sending those, but God is using those and can use even the challenges and persecution. I, I've seen it with churches. Churches get under pressure. Something difficult happens in church. Church gets together, gets united, gets pulling in the same direction. And then the next slide. Is, is that it? Okay. There was something else that I had on, and it was just basically that powerful witness uh, that uh, it had, particularly thinking of Stephen's stoning. And this is what I'm praying as well, that for those who are persecutors, something of the reactions of the believers in Jesus would have an impression on those who are persecuting. And you would remember that Saul, that became Paul, was there at the stoning of Stephen. And I think that was a precursor. There was something that happened in that man's heart that later on when he has the encounter with Jesus on Damascus Road, that created that movement forward in terms of surrendering his life to him. But something happened. I think if we were to get to talk to Paul, might have an espresso with him when I get to heaven, I would say, hey, you know, did that flashback ever come back to you? Did, did you even think about Stephen and the way he died and he never compromised his faith? Did that challenge your beliefs? What did that do to you? Because I'd like to think that it probably did. And it would have made a difference in his life. So that's the challenge that lies before us. You think of Paul and Silas as they are imprisoned in a, in a prison in Philippi. You know, and he, they are in such a difficult situation and yet they praise God. So when the earthquake comes and they say to the jailer, don't worry about it, we're all here. The jailer asked them, how can we become, how can I become a Christian? How can I become a follower of Jesus? What was it? And I think it was the way they reacted to the persecution, the fact that they were praising and worshiping in the prison that probably stirred that man's heart. And he says, whatever these guys have got, I want to have. My prayer is that that would be our attitude as we do this, as we respond to the challenge. Let me finish with a story as Dave and the band come back and lead us to respond. John Rishiana, who's a Rwandan Anglican bishop, the Bishop of Shaira, also served as a pastor before in Uganda during Idi Amin's regime, very cruel regime. You know that probably about 200,000 people had been killed, some of them political opponents, many Christian leaders, members of certain ethnic groups, just exterminated. He recalls a story when one day the government soldiers came for him. And this is how he recalls it. He says, one of them put a cold barrel of a gun against my ear and held his finger on the trigger. They put me on a vehicle and made me sit on a sack of explosive. As we began moving, I thought to myself, even the slightest jolt, and I'm dead. The soldiers later on released John, 
thinking that they've intimidated him to stop him from preaching God's word. But actually, what those oppressor meant for evil, God turned for good. Two days after that, after John's harrowing brush with death, it was a Sunday. And on that day, when he walked into the cathedral, he found it packed with people because the news spread around and everybody was curious to see what John's reaction was going to be. Is he going to be a coward? Or is, was he going to be courageous? And people just simply came out of curiosity. And he used that opportunity once again to speak about the good news of Jesus and about Christ. And actually, he said, never in my life could I have ever gathered such a crowd as was gathered on that occasion. God has a way of redeeming opposition into opportunity if we only surrender ourselves to him. What I want us to do this morning is just to invite those who are getting baptized this afternoon, later on in the service, just to come forward and then invite you to pray for them, recognizing not everybody's going to be able to be there. And then we will have a song of worship as we respond to God. So those of you who are here, I'm pretty sure that most people are here this morning. If you're getting baptized, just come forward. Okay? Don't be shy. Excellent. So we've got three, and there's three that aren't here. Nelly and David and Polly are getting baptized as well. So we've got six later on. They're really good. So I think what they're doing is exactly what Jesus talked about here. It's about nailing the colors to the mast and saying, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to show the world. And I want us to pray that they will be used by God in an amazing way. Some of them have got friends and relatives coming this afternoon who will witness that. And we pray that it will speak to people. So I want us all to stand as a church. And again, maybe just three or four, pray out loud, pray for them. And while you pray for them, pray for me. I've had a really bad back since Monday, and it's not getting better. And I've got to baptize them, so it should be interesting. Could really do with some healing from that. But let's pray. This is a wonderful occasion. Let's pray together. Mm-hmm.